see you guys today and thank y'all for honoring us today with your presence and I mean that uh, uh, Johnny and I go back a long ways uh, I guess maybe 12 13 years old something like that still great friends today we don't talk a lot but when we do we pick up from where we left off and uh, one of those kind of friendships is solid the steady has been that way through the years and uh, it's great to be in the church isn't it Thank the Lord. Of all the things you go through and experience, it's great to have such a great church family uh, to assist, to pray, uh, to be, to, to, to stand with you. Thank the Lord. I do recognize today, and I, I realize that the past number of months has been very challenging for all of us, but the last several weeks here at Grace Church, God has really inspired us. He's challenged us to be encouraged He's challenged us to uh, resume that place of faith and trust and confidence in Him. In Him. Thank the Lord. And uh, to assure us that He has everything under control today with the help of the Lord, I want to continue that thought. Thank you, worship team, for taking us to the throne as you do uh, every Sunday. I want to read from 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 18 in 19, if you have your Bibles, feel free to uh, join us today with the Word of God in your hand versus the Word of God on the screen. It's great to hold the Word of God in your hand, isn't it? Thank the Lord. It's comforting. It's assuring. The Bible said, and David recovered all. David recovered all. Not some, not part, not a portion everything. David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking, nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters. I want to speak to you for a little while today. My title is a question. And as soon as I ask it, I will answer it. Will the church recover? Over what's happened in the past months, will the church recover? The answer is a resounding yes, absolutely. But I want to bring this down to a more individual level today. I know the church will recover. My question is you. Will you recover from what we have been through and are going through, uh, will you recover? Everybody say, thank God for the Word. Thank you for standing in your patience, and you may be seated. John Wesley Powell has pretty much been forgotten. It used to be that every grade school kid in America knew about John Wesley Powell, and his amazing courage to survive a journey against all odds. Everything was against Powell on this journey, this expedition he was embarking on. As a matter of fact, a lot of people even thought he was crazy. Thought he was nuts to attempt, to attempt what he wanted to attempt. The expedition was simply too dangerous. And on top of that, 
Powell only had one arm. During the Civil War, Powell had lost his arm when an enemy shot him in his forearm. The wound led to an amputation, but Paul didn't, uh, Powell did not allow his injury to stop him from becoming literally a national hero. Back in 1869, conventional wisdom says that passage through the, Gan the, the Grand Canyon on the Colorado River was impossible. It was impossible. The countryside surrounding the Grand Canyon oozed with legends of doomed expeditions. No one had ever dared that stretch of river and come out alive. Out of all the expeditions that had given it their best uh, were, were shot down. There was not one single survivor. One army lieutenant who had explored the Colorado just on the southern side of the Grand Canyon, believed that powerful river so treacherous. He said, the Colorado, along the greater part of its lonely and majestic way, shall forever be unvisited and undisturbed. But the one-armed explorer thought he could pull it off. On May the 14th, 1869, Powell and a party of nine stepped into their boats to attempt the thousand-mile journey. Along the way, their party encountered numerous ambushes. They were ambushed by killer rapids. They were ambushed by waterfalls. They were ambushed by boulders the size of cabins. They were ambushed by the loss of boats, critical foodstuffs, and instruments. Yet 100 days later, Powell and five men emerged from two boats. The hope for their survival had been given up weeks before. They were suffering from exposure and near starvation, but they made it. They made it. What happened to the other four? If you'll remember, there were nine. What happened to the other four men? One decided to turn back. The other three, after numerous disagreements with Powell, left the expedition. They hiked up to the rim of the canyon, only to be killed by Indians. So Powell and his men rose up against the odds, pushed through, and made it. I will submit to you today, as we all have, without a doubt, and certainly come to learn, that life in service to God is going to have many challenges. It's going to offer up lots of difficulties that we all will have to work through if we plan to make heaven our home. Amen. The longer I live, the more and more I'm coming to believe that it is something that burns in the heart of a man and the heart of a woman that helps him and her to press on against the odds. I told, I've told several people through the years, I just told someone recently, that if I have one great attribute, one admirable attribute for being in the ministry and called to pastor church, it's that it's being hard-headed. 
I think that's one of the strongest things in my favor. I am just one hard-headed. Now, I can say that about me, but you can't. But it is an attribute that I have learned through the years to use in my favor. And I will tell you right now, no matter what's going on in our country and our world, I'm still not ready to quit. I'm still not ready to give up. I'm still not ready to throw the towel in and surrender. There's a whole lot more fight in me. Amen. And I'm determined to finish out what God has called me to do. Grace Church must understand the armaments that have been afforded to her. A true revival in the heart of a man or woman has the capacity to awaken those things within the heart of even the most distant saint of God. The Bible said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's our weaponry today. I say if God be for us, name somebody that could be against us. Hallelujah! What Satan has embezzled from the church, both individually and collectively, has robbed us of seeming recovery and wholeness. I know, folks, today the devil has plundered, has plundered your joy. You've been robbed of a good attitude. His kidnapping, the devil's kidnapping of our families and children who are caught up in a place of worldliness has to stop. It must stop. It must discontinue. And the church has weaponry to fight against these things. First and foremost is faith. Second to that is prayer. If we will engage God, we can recover everything we've lost. Hallelujah. We've accepted coping with life instead of being a conqueror in life. There's always another side to the story. All of these things must be restored to a church whose hope is not in itself, but in another. Another whose name is Jesus. Hallelujah to God. One who has much more power and is more powerful than anything in this world. The church must arise and pursue. The church must arise and pursue. The church was never intended to be something that was stagnant and static. It is ever seeking to meet the challenge of its times, and it must be dynamic and pulsing with anointing. Must be. It has to be. There's not an option. So to get the setting of the story, for which 1 Samuel 30 is leading up to, one must understand that David still has to deal with the onslaught of pursuit by King Saul. Most of you know and remember that story. We find in the opening chapter of 1 Samuel 29 
that David was in a place called Aphek. Aphek was a three days journey from Ziklag. While David had been in Aphek running from Saul, the Amalekites had been working the destruction of the only safe place that David had in his life. I want everybody to hear that and wrap your head around it. While David was running from Saul, the Amalekites had been working destruction at the only safe place that David had in his life. If you remember your Bible history, the Amalekites were those people that had badgered and provoked the children of Israel practically every step of the way when they left Egypt and even until the time they settled into their promised land. Finally, God had had enough. His instructions to Saul had been to totally annihilate the Amalekites. But Saul, in the sad spiritual state that he was living in, refused to fulfill the entire purpose of God. He refused to obey the entire commandment of God. He only obeyed part of what God had instructed him to do. I want everybody to, as my fifth grade school teacher used to say, to sit up straight in your chair and put both feet on the floor and listen with both ears. Partial obedience, partial obedience to the Word of God. Partial obedience to the Word of God is equivalent to full disobedience. Partial obedience is equivalent to full disobedience. And what Saul refused to deal with in his life became a major issue in the life of someone else. I want everybody here today to understand a principle that I've learned through the years. We all know lots of people that used to be strong families in church. They were born and raised in the church. We know lots of people that fit this description. They've heard preaching. They've heard teaching. They know Bible Scripture. They can quote Bible Scripture. But when you begin to disobey the Word of God in some areas, and you're not teaching your kids the truth, but rather leading them down a path of even partial error, you know the truth. And you can come back to God any time based on your knowledge of truth. But your kids won't have that advantage. I've had more than one parent come to me and say, would you help me win my children back? Would you help me get my kids back in church? There was a lady in particular, I told her, I gave her that I told you so speech. I've talked to you over and over and over about you and your husband's lifestyle and what have you. What can I do now? You've taught them something completely different and total conflict to what the church teaches, so why would you expect them to even listen to the pastor at this point when the parents are summarily the greatest influence in a child's life? I want you to understand you can choose to live the way you want to live. But partial obedience to the Word of God is the same as full disobedience to the Word of God. 
a principle we must all realize is that our life does indeed affect those who are around us. So now because of the Amalekites, because Saul did not fully engage the commandment of God and fulfill it, the Amalekites were not attacking Saul. They were attacking David. And they had invaded the only safe place that he had in his life. I will submit to all of us here today, I don't want to linger on this point, but it seems over the past several months that even our safest place, our most secure place, that one thing you thought you definitely knew, that one thing that you were sold on when it comes to your relationship with God, it's like over the past several months the devil has invaded that spot for all of us. It's imperative, folks, it's imperative that we remain flat-footed on what thus saith the Word of God. It's imperative that we do that. So now because of the Amalekites, who had not been dealt with by Saul, now began to heckle David and his men. In David's absence, they came and disrupted the lives of those in Ziklag. All the wives of David and his men were taken. It was a very and probably the most discouraging moment for David. He knew he had the call of God on his life. He knew that he would ascend to the throne of Israel one day. He knew that he was of a special bloodline. He was assured of his future. But even men as valiant as David, as confident and strong and courageous as David, even the devil can invade their safe place and cause them to question. interesting to me in this story that David had with him in Aphek 600 men but of those 600 200 of them were too weary to fight on they had no more fight left in them they were too weary to cross the brook Basor so David allowed them to stay behind while the others pursued Every church, every church will have among its saints those whose love for God burns high and their faith is real, but at times their strength becomes weakened and they become depressed in spirit and more than anything, they need rest. They don't need to be criticized. They just need rest. A lot of factors may have been involved in the weariness of David's men. They had been forced to march for three days back to Ziklag. Some, sometimes the pace is wearying. They had to deal with the grief of their loss at Ziklag. Perhaps even the force of a swollen brook at Basor was enough to dishearten them. But whatever the case may be, they were allowed to remain in a place of restoration and rest. And we try hard here at Grace Church to offer this same characteristic. It must be found in this church. We must consider that there are those around us who need our encouragement and our support during times of weariness of battle. We will find that one of these days when we get to heaven, we will have helped someone else arrive there as well. <laughs> Hallelujah to God. So David and his 400 men 
pressed on and engaged the Amalekites. 1 Samuel 30, 17 gives us a hint as to the battle. The Bible said that David smote them from the twilight even until the evening of the next day. Sometimes the battle requires more than just a few hours. It requires more than just one prayer meeting. It requires more than just believing in one sermon. Sometimes it can go on for days and weeks. Sometimes the battle is a process of recovery. Sometimes it just takes a little while. The church was not built in a day. This church was not built in a day. A man of God is not built in a day. A prayer warrior, an intercessor is not built in a day. A stress fracture in life may take more than a day or two to recover. Pentecost occurred after a time of tarrying, some 7 to 14 days. Whatever the cost is, no matter what the obligation required, the church finds itself at a point where it must continue to move forward and reclaim what rightfully belongs to it. And over the past several weeks, even the past couple of months, that's been my calling here at Grace Church, is we must move forward. We must Move forward and reclaim, and reclaim what rightfully belongs to our church. No matter how long it takes, I must be involved. I must be willing to march forward until I am in possession of what has been taken from me. No matter how difficult it may seem, there is a God that can help a person recover. Satan want us, wants us to think that we're kind of like Esau, that you cannot recover your birthright. You've sold something that you cannot buy back. The devil would like for us to think that we're like Judas Iscariot. And when we have betrayed what we will, we have betrayed what we will never be able to redeem. We're like the rich young ruler who was bypassed, who bypassed the intersection of opportunity, and we make, cannot make a comeback. I believe today with all of my heart that for the Esau's and Judas and, and, and the rich young rulers, we're in a dispensation of grace now where it doesn't matter what you've lost and what the devil has plundered. I believe through the grace of God that I preached to you last Sunday, we can all recover. I believe we can all recover. It's not just you getting back on your feet. I'm talking about recovery of those things that we feel like we've lost. Our faith isn't strong as it used to be. Our trust in God ain't like it used to be. Even church isn't like it used to be but I say by the help of God today greater is he that sent me and I stand on the word of God I still stand on the promise of God can the church recover oh yes it can and it can recover every inch of ground that it's lost hallelujah one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, I've quoted it to myself in prayer. I've quoted it to God in prayer. I've done it for years. Micah 7, 8. Rejoice not against me. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. Don't you start throwing a party yet. Don't you start celebrating something that ain't finished. There's huge commentary in the sports world of people who 
got a little too excited before what they thought was accomplished was accomplished. There's been numbers of football players running to the end zone, and they spiked the ball before they crossed the goal line. So it's not a touchdown. They rejoice over gaining a first down or hitting a home run, and it's not quite that. I want to tell the devil when it comes to the church, you ain't hit a home run yet, buddy. Don't spike the ball yet. Rejoice not against me. For when I fall, the problem is not falling. The problem is getting back up when you do. That's the issue that's on the table right now. And I'm looking at a room full of people right now that is determined. He may have knocked me down, but I'm not out. And I'm going to rise to my feet again and proclaim my faith and confidence in God. Can we recover? Yes, we can. Hallelujah. Praise God. Ziklag had been looted and destroyed. David's safe place had been completely burnt to the ground. And everything he possessed in Ziklag had been taken. One of the most powerful stories in Scripture. It's preached all the time. The Bible said when David had lost everything and when he could not find anybody to encourage him and to pat him, pat him on the back and say, hang on, buddy, you can fight another day. I don't want to sound like a hero, neither do I want to sound like a martyr. But it seems like here lately, encouragement's a little bit hard to find sometimes over the past several months because everybody's going through the same thing. So you just reach a point after a while where you determine, I'm going to get on my face before God. I'm sick and tired of this. I've had enough of it. I'm tired of feeling like the big ball bearing in a pinball machine getting bounced this way and that way. I'm tired of feeling this way. I'm ready to get a hold of my faculties. I'm ready to engage the power of the Word of God. Oh, yes, I'm preaching to somebody today. It's time for somebody to encourage yourself. Encourage yourself in the Lord. If you can't find nobody else, use yourself. Pull up your own boots. Get back on your feet and say, I'm going to fight this out another day. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord today. I think there's two parts to this story with David encouraging himself. It's one thing to be discouraged, but it's another thing to realize why you're discouraged. I want you to ponder that for just a second. It's one thing to be discouraged. I've sat around my house, I'm being honest here today, and I've cried and blubbered and felt sorry for myself. and Everything we've built here at Grace Church has just fallen to nothing. It's not true, but we say those things in our head anyway. But then I realize I didn't do this. God didn't do this. So who did it? And when you start thinking about who did it, 
Then you start getting a little angry about the situation. You get a little righteous indigestion going on. And say, you know what? Now that I know it's not my fault, it's not God's fault. I believe the devil and a whole lot of other things has been working behind all this stuff. That's just my opinion. And it just makes me fire blazing mad. And I believe when David found out that Ziklag had been destroyed and burnt to the ground and everything he possessed had been taken away, he got pretty sad and pretty discouraged, but he had that aha moment. Who did it? God didn't do it. I don't believe David was trying to play God. I'm going to do a balancing act here. But obviously God didn't stop it either. So after a while, the Bible said David encouraged himself. I don't know that he felt the Holy Ghost or not. I'm kind of pretty sure he didn't. But his senses started coming alive in his head. And a fire started to be rekindled in his bosom. And he's just saying in his mind, I can almost read it, those stinking Amalekites, they've been a thorn in the flesh of my country, my people, my nation, my church, if you will, since we were delivered from Egypt. And I'm fed up with it. I'm tired of it. And I may not have all 600 of my men, but I'm going to take what I've got, buddy. And we're going back to Ziklag. And we're going to fight to the death And I promise you, I'm going to have back in my possession everything that was mine. That's what it means to encourage yourself. David wasn't that prophet that stood up and said to the Amalekites, Thus saith the Lord. That's not what happened. Not to me. David marched in there and said, Okay. God can watch over this and do whatever he wants. But you've taken my stuff now, buddy. You've taken what belongs to me. And I'm not going to roll over. And I'm not going to accept defeat. Not yet. I just hollered somebody. I heard somebody holler. That's good. It is good. And David just so happened to recover in a little more than a day what he had lost over a period of months and even perhaps years. He fought on against the odds. Difficulties are suddenly left in the dust. Tears of defeat suddenly turned into songs of victory. Trouble suddenly turns into spiritual exercise that builds up spiritual resistance. Apostolic quest, apostolic purpose and passion may have been robbed from some of us, but we must recover those things which we have lost. It's time to rise to the full potential that God has invested in us. David refused to lift a hand against Saul, but buddy, he went after the Amalekites that's another sermon some things we may have to put up with from the hand of a brother but we never have to submit to the antics of the wicked influence of the world the flesh and the devil so God is a recoverer he is a restorer he is a rebuilder the epistle of Peter reveals to us his ascent toward recovery. The demoniac of Gadara was void of clothing, void of mind, void of morals. 
The devil had seemingly destroyed him, but Jesus started working with this man and he erased his past and recreated him. The woman at the well had been pillaged, pirated, and wasted by illicit relationships. Five husbands and the one she was with then was not her husband and all of the life had been drained out of her. She was like a, a piece of gum that all the sweetness had been chewed out of and then spat into the dirt. Nothing left until the one who loved her most helped her to recover. Sordid, tainted, of questionable reputation. And all of these details first forced her to go to a well at the middle of the day. But when Jesus got through to her and through with her, listen to this. Her morality, her chastity, Her purity was restored to her. It was so drastic. It was so dramatic. It was so complete that by the time Philip got to Samaria, years later, that whole entire area converted. And most commentaries will tell you it was based off of the testimony of one woman recovered so what God determines to take he gets he took the keys of death hell and the grave Jesus always shows up at church with the keys he always shows up with keys he is the recoverer of all things Job lost all but the word he lost everything But the Word of God declares that despite all of this, he still fell down in worship. Then the boils appear, and the three friends come and watch for seven days in dead silence, staring at him. Job said that he could not find him. He could not find God, but we learn later that wasn't the issue. The issue was that God knew where Job was. And he finally testified that in my flesh I shall see God. When purpose, passion, and vision are gone, there's still a God who can restore it all. So I'm going to ask somebody here today to take a chance and get active with your faith again. It's time to recover, pursue, and overtake It's time to recover our worship, our commitment, our sense of holiness, our devotion to prayer, our hunger for the Word of God, our desire to reach lost men and lost women. It's time to recover, to pursue, to overtake. I love this story about Moses. Moses made it to 120 years old, but his eyes never dimmed. He never needed glasses. He never needed cataract surgery. He was 120. God, you know, Haggai prophesied that the latter house that God would build would be greater than the former house. Local churches, I believe, even Grace Church in the end time will exceed the exploits of the early church. The wise man said in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 8, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. 
And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. God's day starts at night. God's day starts at night. His height rises with the sunrise. In Genesis 1, it states that the evening and the morning was the first day. And in case you're wondering, God is still working the night shift. Let me remind all of you that the whole entire creation process as we know it today began in the dark. The best wine is always served till last. The word perilous is used once in the Bible. It speaks of perilous times. But there is a spirit that overcomes. The day is dangerous, but the Holy Ghost is being poured out. Some would say, Pastor, I'm wiped out. I went around an emotional curve and lost control. I've shattered myself. I'm almost ashamed to walk back into a church and lift my head. My failure and my mistakes have been so great. I've prayed through about ten, about ten too many times. And I've worn out the saints time and time again. Their faith, their prayers have, been, have taken me towards God too many times. I've lost all sense of credibility. There's folks here today I want you to understand with everything in me today. The devil is a liar. He's a sifter. He's a destroyer. But God is a rebuilder and a restorer. If Samson could take a jawbone, if Shamgar could take an ox goad, if Gideon could pick up a pitcher, then pick up your faith, pick up your dreams and passion, and knock the daylights out of the devil with it. That's what I'm doing. I want vision back in Grace Church. I want it to be back front and center. That we're still a church of hope, healing, and restoration. That we still want God to know God, to find freedom, and to make a difference. We still want these things in place at Grace Church. We're going to have it. So with a very small stone, David toppled the giant with one shot. A lonely pasture, isolated, quarantined, literally prepared him for the showdown, not only of his life, not only his family, but for his entire nation. He killed the giant and brought down everything that Goliath would use against him and God's people. The Bible says about Job that the latter end of his life was greater than the former. Romans 4 speaks of Abraham. One writer writes that he did not stagger at the promise of God. This implies that he had strong faith, yet he shows up in Hebrews 11, the roll call of the faithful, and we've come to understand the plan for his life. However, when you read Genesis pertaining to Abraham's life, you find some things were not so faithful. Maybe he quit praying too soon for Sodom. Maybe he did. He was a liar about who Sarah, his wife, was when he claimed that she was his sister. He had a son born out of doubt and discouragement named Ishmael. 
what God was willing to say about Abraham, that he was still a man of great faith. And I know today that God has more value in us than what we perceive. The same principle with Peter. God changed his name from a reed blowing in the wind to Cephas, which means a rock, something that the church could be built on. It's time to recover what you feel like you've lost. If you'll stand with me this morning. You have to get up. I kind of feel like now with maybe a few people here today that I've kind of been your boxing coach, your boxing manager. And the opponent just gave you a right hook and just put you on the floor. And here I am patting you on the side of the face. Get up. Get up, man. Come on, man. Get up. It's your family at stake. It's your kids at stake here. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Don't quit. There's too much at stake here. There's people you can win. There's people you can pray for. There's people whose lives you can influence. There's people you can touch. Come on, man. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. I feel like there's some people here today that's kind of getting your hands clenched again. I don't feel as strong as I did when this fight started, you may think. But I think I can go one more round with the devil. I just want the devil to know, and I say this often, comes from Charles Mahaney years ago. Brother Treadway said he'd preach at his church sometimes in Beaumont. And every time he went to the pulpit, the first thing he would say, he would raise his head back and cup his hands and say, Devil, I'm still here. He thought that he would take the church out. He thought he'd take Jesus out. He thought he'd take the book of Acts church out. He's never taken anybody out that didn't let him. We have to get up and fight another round. We have to. We have to. We have to. Defeat, he lay there silently. A tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense in running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? The will to rise had disappeared and all hope had fled away. So far behind, so error prone, closer all the way. I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up! An echo sounded low. Get up and take your place. You weren't meant for failure here. So get up and win the race. With borrowed, borrowed will, get up, it said. You haven't lost it all. For winning is more than this, to rise each time you fall. So up he rose to win once more. And with a new commit, he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he had ever been, still he gave it all he had and ran as though to win. 
Three times he had fallen, stumbling. Three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win. He still ran to the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed first place. Head high and proud and happy. No falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line last place, the crowd gave him the greatest cheer for finishing the race. Even though he had come in last with head bowed low, unproud, you would have thought he had won the race. Just listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said, because you rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and hard and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my race. For all of life is like that, with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Quit, give up, you're beaten. They'll shout in my face. But another voice within me says, get up, get up, and win the race. I cheer those that have already made it. But my heart is still here more for you than them. They've made it. And there's somebody here today, if you made your commitment sound again, if you made your voice heard again, there'd be a cheery rub from this crowd, not one of judgment, but one of rejoicing. That you fell down, yes you did, but you didn't stay down. You didn't stay down. So as they begin to sing softly, those of you that would, would you come gather around here today? Those of you that would, come gather around here today. And let's pray some encouragement. Let's pray some uplifting. Let's pray something positive into somebody's ear today. We didn't come to lose. We came to win. I didn't come to quit. I came to finish. Hallelujah to God. I want to see God restore someone here today. I want to see God restore someone here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Let the Lord have His way. It's not time to quit. It's not time to give up. You can do this. Yes, you can. You can do this. Oh, God, let your presence reign in this building today. Let the Holy Ghost be poured out in this building today.